0: Yeah. It's, it's been a real value to be able to listen to the other classes as well. If you don't have a podcast that you normally listen to, I'd encourage you to, to subscribe to the Otter Creek podcast. You get to hear not just these classes, but every class, and then also the sermons as well. It's a good way to kind of through your week continue to keep engaged with the community. My name is Alan Walker. Uh, My wife and I, Sarah, have been members here at Otter Creek for 12 years. We always count that because my oldest daughter, Clay, was in the second grade when we came to uh, Otter Creek, and she's also sitting in the back with my wife. She's heading off to, yes, she'll wave to you. Uh, You might recognize Clay, she's often, or when she was here full-time, was on stage doing spoken word and different things. Uh, from the stage she's a junior graphic design major at Harding going back to school here in just a few weeks my youngest daughter Kobe uh, was on stage this morning for birthday Sunday she was the 5 foot 7 14 year old uh, girl who was up there uh, and so she's part of the OCYG uh, as well in middle school so she'll be going into eighth grade uh, this year and just as an aside I thought it was such a cool moment this morning and those of you who weren't in, second ser- or weren't in first service if you go to second service I don't know if it'll happen in second service but I thought it was so cool this morning when uh, Brad Chrysler Chrisler was singing uh, the Bob Dylan song which is a story in and of itself but he's singing the Bob Dylan song and they brought the kindergartners up with their new Bibles and they opened up their Bibles and started looking through them while he was singing the song I took a picture of it I thought that was such a cool moment uh, while he was singing that for them to be opening up and, and looking into their Bibles that was so that was so neat That's when uncle David started talking I noticed <laughs> that as soon as the the uncle Brad stopped singing and uncle David started talking Then they were just that was it, you know, that was lost interest The I've spent the last couple of years as a huddle leader for the OCYG middle school. So most of the time I've been uh, teaching or instructing has been with sixth and seventh grade boys uh, which gave me a little bit of comfort coming into today, realizing that there are certain behaviors I'm not going to see this morning, I'm sure, uh, based off of uh, the group. <laughs> I hope not. I really, I really do. Uh, before that, I spent five years coordinating the as a worship champion, coordinating the Sunday morning experience for the youth group, uh, for the OCYG high schoolers. Uh, and so as part of that, we had to coordinate all the, the classes, uh, and then we also had to coordinate the s- uh, summer classes, which... I really have to uh, give credit to Eric for this particular class. It's hard to schedule for the summer and to know what to do, because people are in and out and those type of things. And so I had experience with that, with the OCYG, with the high schoolers. And then when you asked, hey, could you teach uh, this summer? I said, absolutely, yes. I know that's a difficult thing to get teachers. Uh, and then I got the subject, Deuteronomy, and I thought, that's fantastic. Um, and then when I got the dates that would work for me, I figured it's going to be August. We're talking about Deuteronomy all summer. By the time I get up here, there'll be like four people in the room. So uh, I, I do have to give credit. It's been a fascinating study. have really enjoyed uh, the opportunity to really learn more about a book that we, or at least I often, would skip over. Uh, And it's been tremendous uh, to do that. So we're going to do a variety of things this morning. And uh, as we walk through some of the passages, uh, Brian uh, keyed us up very well last week with debt and forgiveness. And I'm going to jump a little bit into his stuff from last week as we get into some of the areas that we were going to start on today. To recap, I was interested last week as I was thinking about uh, Deuteronomy, that there are some tensions that we feel in the room whenever we're looking at uh, Deuteronomy one of the tensions that i think we feel is the concept of is community versus individual That uh, the conversations have been circulating around what is it like to be in a community versus an individual nature of our relationship with god we have a tendency in western culture to think of our relationship as individual with god and so terms that we use we we look at from a individual perspective not necessarily a, a community perspective the second tension that I think that we feel when we look at Deuteronomy is the idea of the idea of a nation versus a kingdom that the nation of Israel was a kingdom right they were they were a, they were a community together And it's different for us because when we think of nations, we think of a political structure like the United States, which is very different than the kingdom of God. And that's always pointed out to me. My sister has been, my sister and brother-in-law, they were here a few weeks ago. Um, They've been spending the last 12 years in Haiti as missionaries. And so they come home in the summertime to do fundraising and things that missionaries need to do in the summertime. And it's always, to me, interesting to go to Haiti and see the kingdom of God in Haiti and realize that. The kingdom of God is not the nation of any any particular nation. And so when you're dealing with Deuteronomy, where you have a nation, it's easy to think in nationalistic terms when we need to be thinking in kingdom terms. And I think that'll come up a bit with what we're going to talk about today. So that's where I want to get into. I'm going to go back into some of the scriptures that Brian left us with last week in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy. And particularly verse 18 and 19 and 20. Would somebody read 16, 18, 19, and 20 for us? Sure. Please.
1: Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God has given you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you.
0: Justice and justice alone. Last it was Monday of last week. Um, I was at the Rotary luncheon in downtown Nashville, and Judge Sheila Calloway came and spoke to us. She's a municipal juvenile court judge in Metropolitan Nashville, and she was talking about justice. And she asked a question that stuck with me, particularly based on what we're going to be talking about this morning, which is, have you ever suffered any harm? Now, she was thinking about it from a, from a legal perspective. Have you ever suffered any harm? And it occurred to me that I've lived a very blessed life in that I really couldn't think of times when I've suffered harm, not harm like somebody has punched me or run into my car or something, but harm. And so I thought about that question from a different perspective, which was, have you ever suffered injustice? Have you ever suffered injustice? And I thought, well, of course I've suffered injustice. Game six of the Stanley Cup Finals, it was clearly a goal. It was an early whistle. I don't want it, to... It, oddly enough, I actually did think of that. But, it, but then, of course, it occurred to me that the fact that that's bothering me so much is really a sign that I've not suffered must, much injustice. I thought it was interesting what was said earlier today uh, by Josh, that if, or by I guess Chief Justice Roberts, that if you've, I hope someone treats you unfairly so you understand justice. I think was the quote. So it's really hard to understand what justice is if I've not suffered injustice. It's really hard to understand some of the things that are being pointed to in the Scripture if I've always lived in a state where everything seemed to be treated pretty fairly. You know to me i 've never really had something unfair happen, and I was thinking uh, a couple weeks ago uh, we were leaving church uh, down Concord Road, and I got pulled over uh, by uh, brentwood 's finest and I was, I was really i, I didn 't know what I had done, and so uh, the officer comes up and just something kind of weird i, I don 't like to carry my wallet and stuff with me for whatever reason, so often on Sundays i don 't have my wallet with me. And so the officer pulled me over and I didn't have my wallet, I couldn't find my uh, insurance and we did find our registration eventually. And I think the officer pulled it, he said he pulled us over because our light was, one of our brake lights was out. And when I passed by him, I noticed there were two officers in the car, so I really think that he was trying some sort of training exercise for the other officer, like I'll just pull somebody over just so you can see how the process works. And I'm sure as soon as he found me, who didn't have my license and did have my insurance, he's like, oh, great. I, I, I was not intending you know, to do this. And of course, I'm sitting there thinking, OK, I'm sitting here in Concord Road. All these people from church are passing, thinking, yeah, OK, great. Way to go. But you know, he, he was great about it. And they apparently can look up now if you have insurance or not. And they said that I did. And he reminded me that I do, in fact, have to drive with a license. And he let us go. But I couldn't help but notice that I probably was let go because I was driving a Subaru on Concord Road in Brentwood. And so I think I was treated fairly, but others may not so. What would it like to be treated unjustly uh, in that moment? And so when we talk about justice and justice alone, you shall pursue so that you may live and occupy the land the Lord may, God has given you, I think about why is that so important to God? And why might that be important to us? So with that, I've written a couple of words on the board and I was a little nervous about writing Hebrew and Greek uh, up on the board since we have someone who's fluent in Hebrew and most of the elders theological committee in the room, but I thought I'd go for it anyway just to, just to put it up there um, about different ways words are used uh, because the thing that I've thought about this week is that it's not so much the word but the, what the word means that's important that when we think about words in the, in the Bible. So, for instance, I, I, a quote that I really like, and this is this is from N.T. Wright, uh, when he's talking about Romans. Uh, he's talking about Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. He said, and he's talking about a word that we're going to talk about, the Greek word and its variants are often translated as righteousness, righteousness, just, or justice. The problem is that Paul, though writing in Greek, has Hebrew words and meanings in mind which English translations often overlook. In other words, we hear a word and we think of an English context which may not be the context in the Hebrew mind when it's being said. And so I started with the idea of justice and, and Judge Sheila Calloway talking about justice at Rotary. And so the question would be is, what do you think of when you think of justice? So I'm curious. What do you think of when you think of justice? How would you define justice? Okay, fairness. Yeah. Accountability. Okay, accountability for Whatever actions that we may have taken. Okay. Okay. I think okay.
1: I think of the image of
2: the scales. Yeah. Okay? Getting what you deserve.
0: Getting what I deserve, all right. Respecting authority. Okay. It, it, just in in the words that we've used. There's different concepts, even with a word like like justice. Uh, justice comes from a Latin term that means fairly or equitably, and we certainly use that, the scales of justice, equitably, fairly. But justice also has a connotation that we mentioned, which is what was the right outcome, the, the almost crime and punishment type of thinking around justice. And so when we use a word like justice, often we think of a legal action, and it has a legal terminology to it, but legal in terms of outcomes and meanings and consequences for actions that we take. So just as a curiosity, um, when I use the word righteous, what words come to mind? How would you define righteous or righteousness? Okay, holy. I'll repeat some just for the group, and then also I noticed when I was listening to the podcast, it's always helpful sometimes when it's repeated, so you can follow along as well. How would you define righteous or righteousness? Right. Being right with God, okay? Pure of, heart. Pure of heart, okay. You know it's one of those, you know we use, yeah, I, I was thinking about it this week. we use words within a religious context that we assume the meaning for, but sometimes we don't often think of what the meanings are or the underlying tones of those meanings. Uh, a term like righteousness comes from the Old English. It's actually a German word, right or correct or straight. And in Old and Middle English, when somebody was correct, right, and straight, and they had wisdom, they would call them rightwiss, wis rightwis and wisness. Righteousness is the word that we, that we get from that. So they're correct or straight, and then they're also, they're wise, but it inevitably has a moral quality to it when we think of someone who is righteous, a uh, moral quality that may not necessarily be present in, in the Hebrew. So I, I wrote a couple of words up on the board, and I'm gonna have our official Hebrew scholar uh, read those words for, Eric knows so I'm talking, yeah, he just, he already looked at me and he's like, okay. Uh, actually, he reminded me, those are English words I wrote on the board that represent Hebrew words, which is true. I wasn't gonna go to the Hebrew, but uh, those two words, would you read those uh, for me, Eric? Yeah,
2: they're phonetic, so tzedek and
0: mishpat. Okay, Sedeq and Mishpat. Both of those words are in chapter Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20. So in 18, it says, render just decisions. That's actually Sedeq and Mishpat together. Just decisions. When you get down to justice and only justice, that's Sedeq. Sedeq and only Sedeq. Uh, it's It's repeated twice, which, as we know, whenever... God chooses to repeat something twice in a row it's important to pay attention to so we translate this justice and only justice shall you pursue uh means justice it also means righteousness and and elsewhere in the old testament usually most often in the old testament it's translated righteousness righteousness and only righteousness shall you shall you pursue or just decisions back to 18 righteous decisions so Sedeq and then Mishpat. So I started looking through Sedeq and where it shows up elsewhere. And there's one spot in particular in the Old Testament that it shows up that I think is important. And it's in um I need to say this cor- I always like to say Habakkuk, but I was reminded it's not Habakkuk, it's Habakkuk, I think. it looks like Habakkuk to me, but um in Habakkuk two four. Can anyone read or and or quote Habakkuk two four? Oh you know the verse. Abraham. Okay, can you, can you uh, quote Romans 1.17? It's also there in Romans 1.17. Let's go to Pack up. It is. That is a wonderful verse, and that is not the verse.
3: Backer. <laughs> Backer two, four, yes. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by okay. his faithfulness.
0: The righteous person will live by his faithfulness it's one of the two like most exciting verses in that book so you can read through it later if you want so um the righteous will live by faith that's quoted by paul in romans Uh, when it talks in romans 117 uh, that's quoted by him now the word there righteous is sedek some translations will say the just person will live by faith and the reason i think that's important because again english words have English connotations, but they're Hebrew words with Hebrew connotations. And so often when we hear righteous, we think of a moral quality that's not necessarily present in, in the Hebrew. And so the righteous will live by faith. So I, I pulled out one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, uh, to talk about a couple of things around Romans 1.17. He translates, it, he translates Romans 1.17 a little bit differently. He says it this way. Uh, this is uh, this was Romans one seventeen. This is because God's covenant justice is unveiled in it, from faithfulness to faithfulness, as it says in the Bible. The just will live by faith, not the righteous, but the just uh, will live by faith. And the way that he he talks about it is this. He says. The prophets in Psalms often spoke of God's justice. God is the creator of the world and longs to put the world, as we say, to rights. Their word for justice and similar ones like justify and their word for right and others like righteous and righteousness and so on come from the same root. And there isn't an easy way of expressing it in English. And looking at it from a different perspective, he also says the word translated righteousness comes from the Jewish courts in which there are three parties the judge the plaintiff and the defendant which we'll read about when we get into deuteronomy here there's no prosecuting attorney no defense attorney no jury each party makes his case to the judge who is called on to be impartial or uh, mishpat usually uh, or righteous uh, justice justice judge a judge who acts in this way shows his righteousness from faithfulness and upholding the covenant So when the judge finds in favor of either plaintiff or defendant, that party is declared righteous, not morally good or deserving of a favorable outcome, but the one who is given the status by the court of becoming in the right. And then, of course, he mentions righteous, carries moral tones that are not there in the the Jewish system. So when he goes over to, when you go over to Romans uh, 117, obviously it's written in Greek. The word there I wrote up on the board, which I will not try to pronounce, Um, but basically we would, it's often quoted as righteous or righteousness, even though the concept is not righteous, the concept is more just or justify or just uh, justice. Uh, Another place that that word is used in the New Testament is in the Beatitudes. And so if you read different translations of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, most English translations say righteousness, the Greek word is uh, the quality there. And it's, you could even say hunger and thirst for justice. And so when we read something like the Beatitudes, hunger and thirst for righteousness, we think of hunger and thirst to be a good person, to be holy. The concept, though, is deeper or richer than that. It's those who hunger and thirst for justice, for just, for things being in the right. And so if we back up then into Deuteronomy, we're going to read a lot of things about justice, and within that context, I think we have to be careful not just to think about crime and punishment, but to think about things being in the right. The right or things being just, and the reason I think this is important. Let me read one more quote from Jewish Bible Quarterly, and then and then we'll jump into it. Uh, Sedek, it's talking about Deuteronomy 16 through 18. Uh, Sedech does does seem closer to the idea of justice than to charity. Uh, S- uh, Sedechah is a is a Hebrew word for charity. Uh, more legal than moral. In Deuteronomy 16, 18, we have an identity between the legal process and righteousness. They shall judge the people with righteous judgment, mishpat, sedek. And finally, two verses later, we have the unmistakable use of the word sedek as referring to justice. Justice, justice, shall you follow. sedek, sedek, and then another Hebrew word. So the reason I think this is helpful when we look at Deuteronomy is this. If I think of my faith as primarily individual and my righteous quality is given to me through faith, which is a fair statement, and if I think of justice as primarily focused on national justice or a court system, what I've done is really absolved myself from any responsibility to do anything, to make a difference, right? Because individually, I'm, I'm good, and justice is, is somebody else's responsibility, and so we've absolved ourselves from doing anything. Where I think a better concept would be is that justice is something that we care about as a community, and it's something that the kingdom of God needs to be about, wherever the kingdom of God may be. That things being in the right is what we have to be, have to be focused on. And so when we jump into Deuteronomy, I think it's important to keep those concepts kind of in, in our head uh, as we move forward through the process. Uh, back to Judge Sheila Calloway, she was, the reason she came and spoke to us was about a concept in legal terms called restorative justice. And I am not as familiar with the term, uh, and I've not necessarily studied the term, but as I understand it is, it's about repairing harm and putting things back to right, not just punishing crime. And it was a fascinating concept, particularly based on what I was reading in Deuteronomy, that justice isn't just about punishing, justice is about putting things back to right, restorative justice. And it's a fascinating concept to think through and maybe even be about as a community. How can we put things back to right? How do we repair harm? within our communities and within uh, the kingdom. So let me pause there for a moment. We're going to jump into ways in which I think God sees justice uh, within the system in Deuteronomy. But before I go there, I'm curious for for comments or thoughts based off of that. This is my, I'm holding my cup of coffee, giving you an opportunity to. I think another Hebrew concept that
1: goes along
2: with these is the idea of shalom. And, you know we always translate the word Shalom as peace but really Shalom is much broader where all things are good and right and creation is as it should be and its wholeness and fullness hmm. and so that's kind of the end game that God is trying to get us back to Shalom the way we get there is through this so that justice um, it's, it's the effort of pursuing you know as you said uh, trying to correct things and make things right and so that you get to
0: God's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That's a helpful. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, be about I think, Shalom. I think
3: this is at the at the crux of all of what the Bible is about. Is set God, justice, Shalom. Um, if you go back, you, you know, you can go back and trace it, like Melchizedek. Melchizedekai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's. He's the king of righteousness. The king of justice. If you go to Psalm 85, uh, he says that uh, righteousness and justice have met Mm -hmm. between heaven and earth, and that's Jesus. That's where John gets full of grace and truth. Mm -hmm. The exact same, that that whole motif follows all of Scripture. This Mm -hmm. is really fascinating. I think of a
0: more secular thing, uh, economics class. Just remember the professor talking about the difference in first world prosperity and third world uh, situations. Is is there's justice? Like the average person has no reason to start a business if he knows it's just gonna all be taken from him. You know, mm-hmm. ceremonies, like with no, you know, with bribes and you know extortion and criminals. Yeah. And so, like eliminating that criminal element is what allows like capitalism to flourish and mm-hmm. things to go well. So it has practical applications as well as personal, Uh, I'd like to know Mm -hmm. the heaven applications. Yeah, I was reading a a blog about, it was in a, it was a Jewish blog about uh, Sedeq and Sedeqa and and justice, and it was talking about that exact subject, which is economic systems and judicial systems that cause harm, not good, and uh, how that impacts communities. It's hard to do charity, it's hard to do Sedeqa when there's no Sedeq. Within that environment, uh, and trying to bring both into those areas uh, so that it can be repaired, it's important. So there's several ways when we look through uh, these chapters in Deuteronomy that um, that it's telling us how to bring about a better a better way a better way to make sure things are in the right. And so we're going to read through, and as we read through these chapters. Um, I want you to think about what, what's the overlying concepts here. There's a lot of examples and a couple of case studies within it, but what are the concepts here that we need to really pull out? Justice and justice alone shall we pursue. If we're about that, then what are some concepts we need to pull out of these, the, these areas? Uh, so we're going to start in chapter 17 and verse 2. Uh, if I can get someone to uh, read uh, 17, 2 through 7, uh, we'll have a quick chat, and then 8 through 13. So he will do 2 through 7 for me? Thank you. And then 8 through 13. Okay. Thanks, Steve. All right. Go ahead. 2 through 7.
1: A man or woman living among you in one of the towns the Lord gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, your God, in violation of his covenant, and contrary to my command, has worshipped other gods, bowing down to them, or to the sun, or to the moon, or to the stars in the sky. And this has been brought to your attention, and you must investigate it thoroughly. If it is true, and if it has been proven that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, take the man or woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate, and stone that person to death. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, the person is to be put to death. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. The hands of the witnesses must be the first to put that person to death, and then the hands of all the people. He must purge the evil from among you.
0: So when we think about concepts around what creates justice in this scenario, again, we I think at least myself and perhaps others are quick to go to the, wow, that's a pretty severe punishment. Because I'm thinking of justice in terms of punishment. But there's process work here as well that is making sure that these things are in the right, if you will. So what are a few things that you pick up just through two through seven that are important uh, in, this, in this whole process? I think one
1: interesting thing is uh, about not worshiping all these different as God, and then, I just think back to the greatest commandment, shall the yeah. Lord your God uh, the Word alone, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's, I mean, it's easy today to just think, well, I, I love God, but I have trust in these other things, right. um, so it, it goes to the core of who we are and who Jesus says we are, that, that we are to love God, mm-hmm. with
0: mm-hmm. all of our heart and
1: soul and mind.
0: yeah. You know, It's interesting that the, the example, the case study, if you will, that's given in this scenario is the most important thing. right? It, it's, it, it is the crux of it, is worshiping the Lord alone. And so even within the most important thing that, that, that we're called to do, there's still aspects of it that have to be done in the right way. So what, what are some more of those things that have to be done in the right way, even though this is the most important thing? What are some things that have to be done? A thorough investigation, right? Uh, God is not interested in such zeal that causes for innocent blood to be shed, even if it's around this subject. thorough investigation. And then what's the other aspect there? Yeah, not just on one person's word. right? A multiplicity, and again, we're in community, so people... Two to three people have to, after a thorough investigation, understand that, yes, this in fact has been done. So there's all these guards against this type of reactionary justice, if you will, or reactionary punishment uh, towards it. Two to three witnesses, a thorough investigation, and then obviously the responsibility of the person who makes the accusation. You've got to believe that so much that you're willing. Because
2: those people who are the ones who do it first, the, the witnesses are the first throwers. Grudge, and you're just going to accuse somebody. You have to be so steadfast in
0: your accusation that you are willing to throw this. And you have a community of people that are. Yeah, and I, I believe that people then are like people today, and that would be a very hard thing to do. To to throw that stone. I mean, you you see it with Jesus, right? He who is was without sin throw the first stone. Yeah, I mean that that's a tough thing. So you're right, it's that, that responsibility before you get to this point uh, where it's uh, where it's taken care of. Uh, so let's do um, let's do eight through thirteen. Uh, Stephen.
1: If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge, between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates. Then you shall arise, and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses, and you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. According to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the word of God or the judge, and that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall fear, and fear, and no longer act.
0: So here we see a concept of if the decision is too difficult, there's a person that we can go to for better wisdom, if you will. Uh, This is not an appeals process. It's not that I didn't get what I wanted, so now I'm going to go to the central Supreme Court, if you will. Uh, It's an actual process that says if this is a difficult case, we're going to take it to people who are used to dealing with difficult cases. It's, I think, similar to some of the uh, rules and regulations around cleanliness and uh, sanitation and things of that nature if you have one person who's always looking at cleanliness and sanitation uh, they tend to develop a, an experience and they tend to develop a competency around health and healing right so if you're always going to the same people they get a sense of health and healing same thing I think is true here if it's always these harder cases are going to similar people then they develop a competency around what would be the right thing uh, in that I- environment and so again process wise you've uh, got you've got a, you've got a, a an expert, if you will, that if it's too difficult for us to figure out, we can go to, and then we have to abide by. It's like binding arbitration. Have to abide by uh, what that person says needs to be done in that particular, that particular case. And so I think, again, it's, you're, you, you have this effect of, this isn't about random accusations. It's not about, I just don't like this person. It's a process to make sure the right thing uh, is done. And I have to say, as an aside, when you're teaching a class and all the elders leave, it always gives you a little nervousness. It's like are they having a meeting outside and then I'm going to get the finger or what, you know, kind of okay, you need to you need to come on out here.
3: It's, it's really only going to be a problem if they all
0: come back. Okay, that's what I need to watch out for. So, if they all come back after the meeting, then then I've got an issue. Okay. Let's jump to chapter 19. Uh your uh this is uh uh let's read through the whole chapter 19, but we'll break it up. Um Let's go uh, one through 13. Thanks, Brian, go ahead.
3: When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he is giving you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Determine the distances involved and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of those cities. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety, anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally without malice or forethought. For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and as he swings his ax to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great and kill him even though he is not deserving of death since he did it to his neighbor without malice aforethought. this is why i command you to set aside for yourselves three cities if the lord your god enlarges your territory as he has promised on oath to your ancestors and gives you the whole land he promised them because you carefully follow all these laws i command you today to love the lord your god and to walk always in obedience to him then you are to set aside three more cities do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance, and so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. But if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults, and kills a neighbor, and then flees to one of these cities, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and be handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood, so that it may be so that it may go well with you.
0: So it's interesting, innocent blood. Who's the innocent blood that might be shed? No, you're, talking about, you're talking about
3: essentially what we think of as involuntary manslaughter. And, and then the person guilty of involuntary manslaughter could be the victim of a innocent a blood. killer.
0: Innocent yeah. blood. And so as you read through that, in the, the concern here is around innocent blood, particularly the innocent blood of somebody who may have had involuntary manslaughter, and then vengeance overtakes somebody, and then they kill that person, that's murder. That's different, right? And so it's a, you think about this process around sanctuary cities, it's like a cooling effect that even though I may want to take vengeance against someone who I love has passed, even though I have vengeance and it might be with in the culture to take vengeance, that's not the process, that's not right. That's not justice. Uh, you have to go through a process uh, to make these things happen. And so sanctuary cities are provided for these types of situations so that someone can have a cooling effect over just the, what was it, hot fury? Was that the way that your particular version said of the hot fury of vengeance? Uh, obviously the emotion is overtaking uh, the individual. Again, process, justice. We have to make sure the right thing is done, not just punishment uh, is wielded. Uh, someone read 14 through the end of the chapter.
2: If this happens be sure to select as a king the man the lord
0: your god Jesus. and if you would skip to chapter nineteen, fourteen, oh, no worries the two th- the two things i always think about when i'm about to read in a group like this is am i reading the right chapter and verse and is there any greek or hebrew in the verse i'm about to read or names I'm, I'm names can many, can I'm get us to no <laughs> <laughs> no worries so uh, chapter 19 verse 14 so,
2: you must never steal anyone's land by moving the boundary markers your ancestors set up to mark their property. You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, then both the accuser and the accused must appear before the Lord by coming to the priests and the judges in the office at that time. The judges must investigate the case thoroughly. If the accuser has brought false charges against the, his fellow Israelite, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person. In this way you will purge such evil from the money. Then the rest of the people will hear about it and be afraid to do such to do such an evil thing. You must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for
0: tooth, hand for hand. Okay, one of three, three times in the Old Testament that eye for eye, life for life, tooth for tooth, hand for hand is mentioned, most of which have to deal with situations like this, which are uh, murder situations. So uh, not moving the boundary marker, I think we can come to terms with that. Obviously, this is probably being done in the middle of the night or in a way in which the person's not noticing, or I'm just slightly mowing a little bit more of my neighbor's yard, maybe thinking that now this is my yard because I'm mowing it maybe that's just me but um you know making because the importance of land as an inheritance you're not just getting a little bit of somebody else's you're taking away the inheritance that they have from god it's that big of a it's that big of a deal so it's there Uh, and then you know in in a culture without csi miami you know without forensic evidence the the testimony of a person is critical and so the ninth commandment talks about false witness, and, and we sometimes think of that just in terms of lying, and it, there's certain aspects of it. It's also in reference to if, someone, if you say that you've seen something or done something, it's got to be true. Because there is no other way, perhaps, to verify. And so the importance of it, for the right thing to be done, we have to not bear false witness uh, within, within our areas. And so there's several different process pieces that we've seen. We talked about um, uh, the two to three witnesses, the thorough investigation, the cooling effects, uh, the fair representation, the making sure that we have not false witnesses, and um, to make sure that that's done right, retribution, if you decide to falsely accuse or falsely witness against another person. So my question would be this. This is process stuff in reference to justice. But we started with the idea that justice isn't just getting the punishment. Justice is about setting things to right. So in the, in the few minutes that we have remaining, as a kingdom and as a community, how can we be about justice? What are some things that we can do to help set the world to right to bring about the shalom of God uh, within our midst? And so open discussion, if you will. What are some things that we could or should do in order to bring that about?
3: back to the the concept of the refuge cities because I it's just it's so interesting to me because we really don't do anything like that in our justice system uh, with involuntary manslaughter in our cases it, I mean it, it tends to involve either large fines or jail time and this is you gotta go we're not going you know, we're not we're not going to kill you we're not going to put you in jail but you can't stay here yeah and 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 that seems to me to be as good a resolution as you're mm. going to get sometimes in in those really accidental cases mm-hmm. that we get what we get you didn't mean to do this but it's not going to work for the community if you and the family of the person who died because of you are in the same place. Yeah. And so it's like, much as we love you, you got to go.
0: It's hard to have community when something like that has happened. Yeah. Um, it, 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 and it's almost impossible to make it right. Um. But I,
3: and I, th- I, I think that. It's a concept that maybe we look at beyond accidental death and go there. Just sometimes that you're not going to in in a community like ours, you're not going to be able to fix that problem, yeah. even even if it's completely unintentional. Somebody got to go. You
0: no, know, it fascinated me to think about um, the idea of the judicial system within the, the Jewish or the Hebrew context of, you know, there's no prosecuting attorney, there's no defense attorney, there's no jury. It is the plaintiff, it is the defendant, and it's the judge. And the judge is righteous, in this case, representative of God, and the case is pleaded before the judge. And if the judge has sedek and Mishpat, and the, if the judge has that righteousness, then we can trust what the judge says. And within the process to make sure all that happens in the right way is what we see within Deuteronomy but I'm very comfortable with the idea that that we have a judge that is just and we have a judge that cares about these things and the level of detail that they care about it and so I think it's important that again just in terms of thinking how can I hunger and thirst for righteousness how can I hunger and thirst for justice how can I be about justice and righteousness within my week? How can I be about uh, these things that we hear so that um, you know, the community of God uh, is? Uh, ben uh, is going to be teaching next week, uh, and he mentioned that there's a couple of chapters that he's got that I've got, and they kind of things flow back and forth. I did some stuff that Brian had uh, last week uh, as, as well. So I told him that I'd probably, because we're right up against our time, um, I was probably going to drop chapter 20, Uh, just because I thought this discussion might take as it did. Uh, The one thing, I'll I'll finish with this uh, for chapter 20. Uh, My grandfather uh, fought in World War II and he was stationed in 1943, a little north of Gallatin, Tennessee. If you you get off the interstate on I-65 and go out towards the main road towards Portland, Tennessee, there's a historical marker that says there was a U.S. Army encampment during World War II. My grandfather was stationed there as a cook. He was from North Missouri. And when my mother was um, being born, uh, the the country doctor up in, oddly enough, Gallatin, Missouri, um, sent a letter to the US Army and said that my uh, grandmother was having very difficulty uh, with the birth uh, and that uh, my grandfather needed to come back. And so the US Army gave him permission. He left the camp in Gallatin, got on a train, and went back to North Missouri uh, to be there for the birth of my mom. The part that's interesting about the story is that it wasn't true. Uh, The doctor lied to the US Army. There was nothing wrong with the birthing process. Everybody was fine. And my grandma asked him, why did he do that? And it was interesting what he said, as my grandma related. She said, he said that these boys need to know what they're fighting for. And so he arranged it for my grandfather to be able to come home. We got some beautiful pictures of my papa with my mother just as she's born in his army uniform uh, before he then went overseas uh, with the US Army in D-Day. It just made me think about this next chapter. Uh, which it talks about, and if you'll read through it, we might pick it up some next week, but if you read through it, it talks about war and it talks about some of the aspects of it uh, and particularly around the blessings God gives us and the ability to have those blessings even in the midst of uh, some things that we might do. So uh, with that, we're out of time. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you next week.